Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 2. Deuteronomy chapter 2. Today we're going to be looking at uh, Deuteronomy, basically chapter 2 and chapter 3, all of those. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse 1, all the way through chapter 3, verse 22. So uh, a large chunk here, but that's kind of the way it goes with uh, narratives in the Bible. Uh, the Bible uses narrative, especially in the Old Testament, uses narrative to point us to a theological truth. And so you got to see the whole picture, right? You have to see the whole story to really understand what the, the text is telling us. So we're going to be looking at those verses today. Uh, now, when you turn on the television today, what do you typically see? Uh, there's a whole lot of fear-mongering going on. If we're honest, well, that's, that's a whole lot of what we see. It's fear-mongering. Uh, the media, politicians, and, and everything that we see before us so much is, is to build up fear. It wants us to be afraid of everything, be afraid of coronavirus, afraid of gun violence, afraid of uh, conflict across the world, afraid, afraid, afraid. There's fear, 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 fear. That's what we see in our culture. It's this drive towards fear. But you know, as, as Christians, we shouldn't give in to that. Uh, we shouldn't be brought into a state of fear over everything that is going on in the world because we have a God who reigns. God reigns. And no matter what's going on in the world, that doesn't change the fact that God is on his throne. He rules and reigns over everything that is going on. And, and that's the message we need to hear today. Because we don't need to get caught up into the, in the hype of the culture. We don't need to get caught up in this spirit of fear that is spreading throughout the country and really across the globe. We're to be a people of encouragement, a people of hope, because we know our God reigns. And that's the message of today's text. These two chapters in Deuteronomy. As we've been working through Deuteronomy, we're, we've, we're in that portion of Deuteronomy. If you'll remember, the book of Deuteronomy is structured after an ancient covenant. And this is a covenant between God and his people. And this first section that we're in, this is the historic prelogue. And so it's given the history of Israel and God, their relationship, and why they are entering into this covenant that they're entering into. And so last week, we've, we've kind of seen this over and over again. We, we've seen some of the characteristics of God, who God is. And we've also seen some of the characteristics of Israel, who, who pointed us to who we are as people. So last week, we, we saw the, the faces of faithlessness, because we tend to be faithless so much of the time. And so we saw the, the faces of faithlessness last week. Now Moses turns our attention back to God. And now we see God's sovereignty. We see God's sovereignty as he is controlling things, right? He's shaping and forming history to accomplish his greater purposes. And so in today's text, we see this, this message. Here's the central message that I want you to get and walk away with. Fear not. Fear not, for the Lord your God reigns. Fear not. For the Lord your God reigns. There's no reason to fear anything in this world. 
because God is on his throne, ruling and reigning. Listen, nothing that has taken place in, in our culture here lately has surprised God. It's all working according to his eternal plan. All working to that one goal, the return of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his eternal kingdom. Fear not, for the Lord your God reigns. So I want us to be encouraged today. I don't want us to be caught up in the fear mongering, but I want us to have the hope and speak courageously. Speak hope. Speak encouragement even in the face of all this fear. Now, because we are reading, we're going to be working on such a large text, we're not going to read all of it, but I do want to start and, and read a portion of it. So we're going to read verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. So if you found your place there in Deuteronomy chapter 2, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Hear the word of the Lord. Then we turned and journeyed into the wilderness in the direction of the Red Sea, as the Lord told me. And for many days we traveled around Mount Seir. Then the Lord said to me, You have been traveling around this mountain country long enough. Turn northward and command, and command the people. You are about to pass through the territory of your brothers, the people of Esau who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. So be very careful. Do not contend with them, for I will not give you any of their land, no, not so much as for the sole of the foot to tread on, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. You shall purchase food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work, all the work of your hands. He knows you're going, he knows you're going through this great wilderness. These forty years the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. So we went on away from our brothers, the people of Esau, who live in Seir, away from the Arabah road, uh, from Elath to Ez. Ezion Gibber. And we turned and went into the direction of the wilderness of Moab. And the Lord said to me, Do not harass Moab or contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land for a possession, because I have given Ar to the people of Lot for a possession. The Emim formerly lived there, a people great and many, and tall as the Anakim, like the Anakim. They are also counted as Raphaim, but the Moabites called them Emim. The Horites also lived in Seir formerly, but the people of Esau dis dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and settled in their place, as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave to them. Now rise up and go over the, book, the brook Zered, so we went over the brook Zerid, and the time from, uh, from our leaving Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the brook Zerid was 38 years until the entire generation, that is the men of war, had perished from the camp 
as the Lord had sworn to them. For indeed, the hand of the Lord was against them to destroy them from the camp until they had perished. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And Lord, we pray that you would teach us from your word today, Lord. Let us hear the message. The message that you had for Israel is a, a, a similar message you have for us today. So Lord, let us hear this message. Let us be encouraged in your sovereignty. Uh, let us find encouragement and hope in that. And Lord, let us not be given to fear, but let us look to you and find our hope. These things I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the central message of this is to fear not, for the Lord our God reigns. And we're going to see that as we go through here. But the reason that Moses is giving this message to Israel, and the reason we need to hear that today, is this. Fear not, for God is sovereign. God is sovereign over the earth here here's number one we got three reasons why to fear not and here's number one fear not because god is sovereign over the earth and we see that playing out in in this text in this narrative we see here that the lord as the people are, are going through the wilderness now you you have to understand that in these two chapters here 40 years is is, is taking place there's 40 years taking place in just the first few verses uh, there's 40 years passing 40 years so last week we looked at the time when the israelites came to the jordan the first time right they came to the the land of promise the first time and god commanded them to go in and take possession of it but they said no god we're too afraid the people there are bigger than us. They're badder than us. We're not going to do it. We want to go back to Egypt where we had it so lovely as slaves under Pharaoh, right? Uh, no, God. And so God said, all right, well, if you don't want to go in, fine. You go take off and, and you just wander around the wilderness. And when this generation dies off, then I'm going to bring your children back here and they're going to go in and take possession of it. And that's what's taking place. For 40 years, God has caused them to wander through the wilderness. And then you go back to the book of Numbers, and you see that history unfolding, and you can read all about that. So for 40 years, they've been wandering through the wilderness. They have been faithless all throughout their wandering years, and God has called this, caused this plague to come about them, and that plague, he has caused different things to come about them. And now that whole generation, those who were uh, old enough to go to war in that first generation, all of them have died off. All except for, remember, Caleb and Jacob. Uh, those two are, yeah, Caleb and Joshua, sorry. <laughs> Caleb and Joshua, all, of the, all have died but those two, right? And, and those two now are, are coming with this new generation, and this new generation are getting ready to go in and take possession of the land. But God is recalling, here, here, here's what happened. You were in the wilderness, and now I've brought you back to this, this land. And, and some things have already taken place at this point. As Moses is preaching this sermon to them, some things have already taken place. 
right? As they were wandering, God said, all right, now you've been here long enough. You've been wandering around in this land long enough. Now you turn northward. Go northward. So where they were uh, wandering around in the wilderness, it was kind of southwest of, of Israel, the land of Israel, the land of promise. And so they've been wandering down there. And now God says, turn northward. Go northward. It's time, guys. It's time to go take possession of the land. And so as they take their way and they, they leave the wilderness and start going up to the land of promise to take possession of it, he says, now, first of all, you're going to come to the people of Esau. You're going to come to the people of Esau. But look here, guys, don't take, don't mess with them. Be careful. Don't contend with them because I'm not giving you their land as a possession. I've given it to the people of Esau. You remember Esau was the brother of Jacob. And Jacob and Esau were, were brothers. And Esau was the oldest uh, of, of I, uh, Isaac's sons. And, and Jacob, he got the, the inheritance, right? He, he earned the, the right for the inheritance. God gave it to him. But he took care of Esau. He took care of Esau. He allowed Esau to multiply, to have a, a great name, and he gave the, the people of Esau a place. And then he says, you know, you're going to come to this, these other people, these, uh, the Moabites. Now, the Moabites, if you remember, the Moabites were from the sons of Lot. So if you remember the, the story of Lot, Lot was the nephew of Abraham. And when God brought Abraham out of Ur down into the land of promise Lot came with him and God blessed both Abraham and Lot and, and they just had all of these great possessions so much so that there began to be this conflict between the the hired hands of, of Abraham and the hired hands of Lot and so they ended up having to separate their their companies and going their separate ways and you know the story of Lot Lot went to Sodom and uh, he, he fell into with the people of Sodom and then God brought uh, judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah and wiped those places out, but he brought Lot out. He brought Lot out. Lot's wife died on the way out because she looked back. She wanted to go back to Sodom. And so God sent judgment on her, and she, she died there as they were coming out. And so Lot and his two daughters escaped Sodom and the destruction of Sodom. And then what happened? Sin came in to the, the whole equation there, and uh, Lot's Two daughters had an incestuous relationship with Lot, and from those incestuous relationships came two sons, Moab and Ammon. And so these two sons, God still blessed them. God blessed them. He, he blessed Lot because, hey, that was Abraham's nephew. And so he blessed Lot, and he blessed uh, Moab and uh, Ammon, and he gave them a place in this region. He multiplied them and made them great nations. And so he said, don't go into, don't, don't mess with Esau. Don't contend with Moab. And as the story goes, we didn't read that, but as it goes on there, he says, you're going to come to Ammon as well. But don't mess with the Ammonites, because those are the sons of Lot as well. Don't mess with them. I'm not giving you their land as a possession. I've given it to, to Esau. I've given it to Lot as a possession. Don't mess with them. And it has this little interesting parentheses right there, doesn't it? It tells about the people who were there before them, the Emim, as the, the Moabites called them. And the Emim were, were great men of war, right? They were like the Raphim. They were giants. You think about Goliath 
They were, Goli- they were all like Goliath. They were huge men and, and men of war. Yet God, he worked his stuff, right? He was sovereign over that. And he had blessed, he had blessed Esau. He had blessed Moab. He had blessed Ammon. And he allowed them to go into their, these new territories and conquer these great and mighty people and dispossess them of, of their land. And, you know, that's what we see in this, this, this story, this narrative. God is sovereign over the earth. All of the earth belongs to God. He created it. He created it, and he can do with it what he wants to do with it. He can give, and he can take it away. God gives, the Lord gives to whom he wills, and the Lord takes away from whom he wills. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's all his. He has the right to do that. And so the Emim had no right to, to raise a fuss over, oh, they've run us out. No, no, that was God's property. It's his land. God can give it to whomever he wants to give it to. And when Israel comes up through there, they have no right to take possession of it because God said, it's not yours. I'm not giving it to you. I've given it to them. But guess what? I'm going to take you to your own land, and I am going to give you that possession. The Lord gives. And the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The all the earth belongs to God. Psalm chapter 24, verses 1 through 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and the established it upon the rivers. This is God's creation, right? He can do with his creation whatever he wants to do with it. Let me tell you. He can give this country to somebody else. He can dispossess us if he wants to dispossess us and bring in a foreign nation to conquer us. He can do that because it belongs to God. It belongs to him. He gives and he takes away. And that goes right on down to all that we own, all that we have, whatever is in your bank account, whatever land you may own, It all belongs to God. If you have it, it's because God has blessed you with it. He has given it to you to to steward over, to manage. The Lord has given, yet the Lord can take away. Just think about Lot. Lot, when he he had it all, right? He, he, He was a very successful man. He had children. He had land. He had he had cattle. He had all of these worldly possessions. And the Lord took it away in a moment, in a blink of the eye. The Lord allowed all of it to be taken away from him. And what did Lot say? The Lord give, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Why? Because it's all the Lord's anyway. It all belongs to God. It all belongs to God. You know, we should find peace and rest in that. We should find peace and rest that God is sovereign over the earth. He gives and he takes away. Therefore, we rest in him. We don't worry about world politics. We don't have to worry about what's going on in the world and fret over it because God is sovereign. He is sovereign over the earth. He rules and reigns over the earth. So we don't have to worry about what we put on, what we wear, what we eat, what we drink. Because God is sovereign. He gives and he takes away. 
You know, that's what Jesus says, isn't it? Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor uh, gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, by, his, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Oh, dear friend, fear not. The Lord reigns over the earth, and he cares for his own. So whatever's going on in the world, fear not, for the Lord is sovereign over the earth. Second, fear not, for God is sovereign over humanity. Fear not, for God is sovereign over humanity. And so as we, we go on through the story, again, I'm not going to read all of this. I'm going to read parts of it, but not all of it. But as we, we move on through the narrative, the Israelites, they go through, as we said, they went through the land of Esau. They went through the land of Moab, and they went through the land of Ammon. And then they come to another land, the land of the Amorites, the land of the Amorites. And here we see God beginning to give this land over to Israel. In chapter 2, verse 24, he says there, Rise up, set out on your journey, and go over the valley of uh, Arnon. Behold, I have given into your hand Sion the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to take possession and contend with him in battle. This day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you on the peoples who are under the whole heavens, who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. So I sent messengers from the wilderness of uh, Kedmoth to Sion, the king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, Let me pass through your land. I will go only by the road. I will turn aside neither to the right nor to the left. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give me water. Uh, give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot as the sons of Esau who lived in Seir and the Moabites who lived in Ar did for me until I go over the Jordan into the land that the Lord our God is giving to us. But Zion, the king of Heshbon, would not let us pass by him. 
For the Lord your God hardened his heart, hardened his spirit, and made his heart obstinate that he might give him into your hand as he is this day. Now, as they go into the land of the Amorites, God says, I'm giving this to you. I'm giving, this is the land. We're going to start taking possession of it. And he says, tells him, now I'm going to harden Sion's heart. I'm going to harden his heart. I'm going to make him obstinate toward you. Moses gives him terms of peace. Now, why did Moses give him terms of peace when God says, I'm, I'm going to give this land to you? Well, because that's what God commands later on in Deuteronomy chapter 2, or excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 20, when he starts giving them the laws concerning warfare. He says, when you go into a land, when you go up against a city, you're to first offer them terms of peace. And so Moses offers them terms of peace, even though he knows God's going to harden his heart. He's going to harden his heart, and he's not going to accept those terms of peace. This shows us that God is sovereign. He's sovereign over humanity. He's sovereign even over the human heart. He's sovereign over the human heart. Now, we see two things come in play here, two theological issues that that come into play. First, we see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Uh, These are always in concern when we're talking about God's sovereignty. How is God sovereign over human history? How is he sovereign over the human heart? Yet man is still responsible for his actions. And so let's think about that. How is it that Sion, the king of the Amorites here, how is it that he is responsible for his actions? God hardens his heart. Yes, he's responsible for his actions. Well, we need to understand that God's God is sovereignty. God, God is sovereign. He, he rules and reigns over human events. He is even sovereign over human interaction. Right? He, he has hardened the heart of Zion. Yet God causes no one to sin. God never ever causes anyone to sin, nor does even, even God tempt someone to sin. For James chapter 1, verse 13 says to us, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God is not tempting Sion to rebel against these terms of peace. He's not tempting him whatsoever to to not take these terms of peace, to sin against the commands of the Lord. No, but he is allowing him to do that. God hardens his heart. Just like he hardened the heart of Pharaoh back in Egypt, he hardens a man's heart. Now, how does God harden a man's heart? And man still be responsible? Well, see, here's the thing. The human heart is always inclined to evil. We, we kind of get mixed up on this. We often get mixed up on this because in our minds, we often think that mankind is generally good in nature, right? We do. We tend to think the better of people. We think people are generally good, and that's the way our society thinks. Society thinks that people are generally good. You know, they may make some bad choices, but society is generally good. People are generally good. There may be a few bad apples out there, but people are generally good. But that's not what Scripture shows us. No, people are evil. 
Your heart, dear friend, you think you're a good person, right? You think you're, your heart is corrupt and evil until the Lord changes it. You are evil and you are inclined to evil. In your natural condition, you are inclined to evil. And all the Lord has to do to harden a person's heart is to let go of the reins. When I was growing up, we always had horses. Always had horses growing up. And, and I remember we had this one horse. He loved to run. He loved to run. You didn't have to gig him. You didn't have to do anything to him. All you had to do was let go of the reins. To keep him walking, you kind of had to, you didn't have to hold back, but you had to keep some tension up there, right? You had to keep a little tension on those reins. But man, if you just let go of the reins, just drop some slack in the reins, all of a sudden that walk turned to a trot, and the next thing you know, you're in full sprint because he loved to run. So is the human heart. Our hearts are inclined to evil. And the only thing holding us back is God. He reigns us in. He reigns us in. And he keeps us from being as bad as we could be. Each and every one. You think, oh, I'm not that bad. Oh, yes, you are. Don't be fooled. The only thing keeping you from being as evil as Hitler or any other a uh, despicable person you might could think of is the reins of God on your life holding you back, holding you back. That's exactly what Jesus is getting into when Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, 22, you have heard it said that, uh, you have heard it, that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to hellfire. You see, Jesus understood this truth. Because the only thing that keeps us from, uh, from our anger, from going all the way to the point of murder, is the reins of God. Pulling us back, pulling us back. God in his providence has set government over us so that we have laws that keep us from doing some of the despicable things that we could do. That's part of God's reign, holding us back, holding us back. There are so social norms that uh, we wouldn't dare break. That's all God's providence, holding us back, holding us back, holding us back. And all that, God, all that we would need to be as evil as the most despicable person who has ever lived is God saying, I'm letting go of the reins. You see, that's what God did with Zion. That's what God did with Pharaoh. That's what God's going to do with Og in the, the next few verses. Og, the other king of the Amorites, God just lets go of the reins. And he lets their, their evil rule and reign over them and rage. And they're responsible for their sin and their rebellion. God is sovereign. He's sovereign. And he rules and he reigns. And, and yes, he, he, he orchestrates things for a purpose, right? He, he has a plan in mind. 
He has a plan in mind. He, he has already determined how history will end. He's already determined how it will go. And he orchestrates history. And he holds men back and he releases men and lets them go. He does all of this to bring about his ultimate plan of redemption in Jesus Christ. Even this, this, this whole episode with Zion and Og and, and God taking over, that's all in preparation for Jesus who would come. God's orchestrating history. He's sovereign over history. He's orchestrating it providentially to bring about his ultimate plan and purpose. Everything that's going on in our society right now, God is orchestrating it. He, he is in charge, right? He is in charge. He's orchestrating it. Nothing that these politicians do surprises God. He's orchestrating it. He's orchestrating it. He's working it all. Now, he's not the puppet master, just bop, 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 bop. But he's sovereignly orchestrating it, working it to, for his divine purpose, to bring about his divine end. And we can rest in that knowing that we know the end of the book. We have the end of the book. We have the book of Revelation that tells us Jesus wins. He's coming back, and he's going to rule and reign, and he's going to conquer this evil world. We can rest in that because God is sovereign. If God wasn't sovereign, we couldn't rest in that. If God wasn't sovereign over every molecule in all of creation, we could not rest that the history will end the way God says it will end. Because God is sovereign over history, over humanity. We can rest in that sovereignty. Now all of this is to say that God is sovereign over humanity. That means God is sovereign over government officials. He is sovereign over uh, people of our community. He is sovereign over humanity. Therefore, we need to pray. This, in, this fuels our prayer, doesn't it? We need to pray for God's sovereignty over the leadership of our community and of our nation. We need to pray for them. I don't care if you like their, 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 you know, their, their political issues or not. You need to pray for them. You need to pray for them. You need to pray that God would change their hearts and change their minds. You need to pray for them that God would, would guide them in a positive way. Pray for God's sovereignty over the leadership of, of our community and of our nation and even of our world. Second of all, we need to trust God's sovereignty. We need to trust in God's sovereignty. We need to trust in his sovereign plan. We know the end. We know what it's all working to. Let's trust God's sovereign plan. All of this is part of it. None of this has surprised God. All of this that we see taking place in our world, none of it surprised God. It's all part of his sovereign plan. And third, we need to rest in God's sovereign purposes. We need to rest in God's sovereign purposes. We need to rest because God's got this. God's got this. He's in control. So fear not. Fear not. God is sovereign over humanity 
fear not for god is sovereign over the earth god is sovereign over humanity and third fear not for god is sovereign over nations god is sovereign over nations we see this playing out in in the rest of these these chapters here we come to this this next section here uh, and let me just pick up in in verse 31 and the lord said to me chapter 2 verse 31 and the lord said to me behold i have begun to give sion and his land over to you begin to take possession of of began to take possession that you may occupy his land then sion came out against us he and all his people to battle at jahaz and the lord our god gave him over to us and we defeated him and his sons and all his people and we captured all the cities at that time the lord devoted and and devoted to destruction every city men women and children we left no survivors only the livestock we took as a spoil for ourselves with the plunder of the cities that we captured now as you you go on that's with zion and the same thing happens to king og the next amorite king that they come to they go in and they destroy the cities of of og the people of of the king og and they they annihilate them now when we think when we look at this and here's where a lot of the secular culture the the people outside the church really struggle with the bible like when the nation of Israel goes in and they annihilate these whole people groups, this is genocide. That's what, what you know, non-Christians would, would call this. They would look at this and say, well, this is just genocide. How, how can you, how can you go say that's good? When, when God's given this, these commands, if this good God has given these commands to wipe out all these people, we need to understand that God is sovereign over nations and he is the sovereign judge over all the nations. God judges nations. God judges nations. And this is God's judgment on the people of, of the Amorites. He is judging them. He is giving his divine judgment upon them. We see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 15 verse 16. As God is making his covenant with Abraham, he tells Abraham there and they, that is the people of, of Israel that we're, we're looking at today in Deuteronomy, they shall come back here in the fourth generation. And why will they come back here in the fourth generation? Why will God wait 400 years to give this land into the hands of the people of Abraham? Why will God wait all that time for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. This was a sinful, rebellious people who had spent their whole lives rebelling against the holy God. And God says, I'm building up my wrath. He's telling Abraham back there in Genesis, I'm building up my wrath. I'm building up my wrath. I'm holding back my wrathful judgment on the, these people so that I can pour it out in full measure when I bring your people back here 400 years from now. This is not an innocent people. They are a corrupt, evil nation deserving of God's divine judgment 
deserving of the pouring out of God's wrath upon them. Just like Sodom, just like Gomorrah before them, they were a rebellious people who sinned against God. And God is delivering judgment upon them because of their evil, wicked, rebellious hearts. And God has every right to do that. He is the sovereign judge over his creation. And he will judge his creation. Look, this is just a, a foretaste. What takes place in, in Deuteronomy and the book of Joshua, that's just a foretaste of what's going to happen in the end. Let me remind you of Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, we see the great white throne judgment. Chapter 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, for his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for, him, for, found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what were written in the books according to what they had done. They were judged by their sinful rebellion against a holy God. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. You think the judgment of the Amorites was something? That's nothing to compare to what will come on that day at the great white throne judgment when all mankind will stand before God and be judged according to what they had do have done. They will be judged for their sin and rebellion. And they, just, they won't be just wiped out. They won't be just annihilated they will be sentenced to eternity, an eternity of the outpouring wrath of God against their sin. All of eternity, they will suffer the consequences for their sin. God judges nations. Just as he judges each and every individual who ever has or will live. God judges nations. But we also see that God secures nations. He secures nations. As you push on there in chapter 3, I just want to read verses 12 and 13 in chapter 3. When we, look, when we took possession of this land, the land of the Amorites at that time, I gave to, Reuben, uh, I gave to the Reubenites and the Gadites the territory beginning at Aurora, which is on the edge of the valley of the Arnon, and half of the country to, of Gilead with its cities, the rest of Gilead, and all Bashan, the kingdom of Og, Og, that is, all the region of the Argob, I gave to the, tri the half-tribe of Manasseh. And so here God is already, he's, he's turning over possession of this land to the Israelites. He is securing them. 
He is securing them. They're living in obedience to him at this point, and they're se- he's securing them. He's bringing them in. And God does that. He judges nations, and he secures nations. On down the road, he will judge Israel. And he will take them out of the land because of their rebellion. But he was securing them at this point. And you know, one day, we're headed there. One day, he's going to secure his eternal nation, his eternal kingdom, once and for all. God is sovereign over the nations. He judges nations. He secures nations. Even now, he continues to judge nations and secure other nations. He is still at work. He is still in control. God is sovereign over the nations. Watch the world news and see all that is going on in the world. God was not surprised about what happened in Afghanistan. He's not surprised about what's happening in China. Nor is he surprised about what's happening here in America. God's sovereign over the nations. And he's working out his sovereign plan to its final end. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray knowing that God is sovereign over our nation. We need to pray for our nation. We need to pray for a great awakening to take place. That God would sweep this nation with another great awakening. That hearts might be turned to Christ. We need to pray for revival. We need to rest in God's sovereignty. Everything is working toward a glorious end. We know the world is is going, it's going to go from bad to worse. Scripture tells us that. This world is only going to get worse. It's only going to get worse as we draw nearer to the day of Christ's return. It's going to go from bad to worse, but we're looking to the day when Jesus Christ bursts through the clouds and we hear that trumpet and he calls us home. So we say, even now, come Lord Jesus, come. We're ready. We're ready. But until that day, let us be committed to pray for our nation and pray for God's movement here and in this world even now all of this comes to an end in the final couple of verses look at the final couple of verses this is as moses has told this whole recounted this these stories these this history that has already taken place he comes down and he concludes in these last two verses as he speaks to joshua as he speaks to the nation of israel he says your eyes have seen all that the lord your god has done to these two kings so will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them. Fear not. Fear not. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Fear not, for the Lord your God reigns. Fear not, for the Lord your God reigns. You can rest today in God's sovereignty. You can face tomorrow because of God's sovereignty, no matter what takes place. If war breaks out tomorrow, you can rest in God's sovereignty. If the economy crumbles tomorrow, you can rest in God's sovereignty. 
If you lose your job tomorrow, you can rest in God's sovereignty. God is sovereign. Israel could fear not because the Lord, their God, was fighting for them, giving them the victory. And dear friend, we can rest today as God's people, as his church. We can fear not, for God has fought the battle for us. And he has given us the victory in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You see, they were going to a temporary promised land. But we're headed towards an eternal promised land. And this eternal promised land was not secured by human hands, not by Joshua, Moses, or anyone else. This eternal promised land was won for us by Jesus Christ. So let me tell you today, friend, if you're in Christ, you can fear not. You can trust in God's sovereignty. You can rest in the sovereignty of God over everything that happens. But let me tell you, if you've never trusted in Jesus, if you've never surrendered to God's King, King Jesus, then you have every reason to fear. You have every reason to fear because you're marked among the Amorites. You're marked among those who will be destroyed in the end, those who will suffer eternal wrath and punishment. The, the worst of day, the best of days in this life are the best you're ever going to see. But if you trust in Jesus, if you surrender your life to Christ, fear not. Fear not, for God has already won the victory. And he is working history to that one day, that climactic end when Jesus Christ will establish his eternal kingdom and give us eternal rest from sin, death, and everything else that troubles us. Trust in Jesus. Trust in him today and rest in the sovereignty of God. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this message that you have given us. We thank you that you have revealed to us, Lord, your sovereignty. You rule and reign. Nothing takes you off guard. You are sovereign over everything that takes place. Thank you, Lord, that we know because of your sovereignty, we know the end. We know what is to come. Therefore, Lord, let us find our peace and our rest in your sovereignty. And Lord, if there's those who've never trusted in Jesus, Lord, they they have every right to fear. They're living in fear. They're trembling because of all that's taking place. Oh, Lord, let them find peace and rest in Jesus Christ. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.